that those three neglected facets of our sphere might be remembered. Gaia's trinal soul ascendant, her humans' lives resplendent. That the green valley stays every unnatural autumn, that the white winter days remain frigid. With wills might we will this, with words might we bid it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solocene. Yep. This is our <laughs> second episode in our nature series, and Aaron opened us with a poem, which she admittedly said was quite a tongue twister, and it did present that challenge. That's why I'm laughing, because I've been reading this for 10 minutes now. Alicia tried it also. Those final few lines, I, I encourage you to try it at home. Mm-hmm. With wills, might we will this. With words, might we bid it. There, I got mm-hmm. it. Um, another fact about that poem, I thought we could introduce a word of the week. Like we have an organism of the week, word of the week. I like that idea. So I use the word trinal, meaning having three parts slash threefold. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an old word. Do you want to guess where I got it from? Book you're reading? Yeah, I read it from uh, Dante's Paradiso, mm. from the Divine Comedy. And you can guess what he was referring to there with the threefold. The big threefold, yeah, as the, they call him. The, the big threefold, the big EGG. And um, that's probably not even the most biblical that we're going to get during this episode. <laughs> so that's fun. There's, there's a lot to look forward to. Yes. A lot of references to the big EGG, the big egg. <laughs> so on this week, we're going to be answering questions that we asked last week. But I wanted to start by saying, if you're listening on a podcasting platform, subscribe, leave a comment. It really helps other people find it. If you're watching on YouTube, you can like and comment and all that jazz. And honestly, you can just share it with your friends. If you're having a conversation, try and bring it up. Uh, We'll perhaps leave you some ideas of how to bring it up as we go. (laughs) Beautifully shameless. Yes. So one of the questions from last week will be a rather small section for this week because it wasn't so much a question as, uh, oh, we were wrong about that. And the question was, ecosystem, is that an outdated term now? You said that on the podcast last week. You said, I don't think they teach anymore. I think it's kind of an outdated term. And I said, yeah. And it's an example of you just inventing something. Fabricating something, yes. And me not wanting to seem like I was ignorant to something like environmental science. So I was like, yeah, that's that's outdated. Mm-hmm. But really, I was just also... We are <laughs> both just wrong. Podcast, as, yeah. we, as we commonly do. We don't commonly do that. So yeah, owning up to it. Ecosystem, that's just a, a common word. I'm not sure where you got that from. Do you have any ideas? My guess, because obviously I reflected on it upon proving myself wrong, I asked my sisters who are younger than me, so went through the education system after, and I just remember hearing someone say that, and I assumed it was one of them. Because you know when younger siblings come home from school and they say, oh, we don't learn this anymore, or what have you. And they said it was still taught and all that. But the reason I think I came up with this is because perhaps ecosystem has been co-opted by a lot of other linguist purposes when you type in ecosystem the first thing that comes up is not a ecological ecosystem it's the apple ecosystem or a workplace and so on right what do you think about that technological ecosystem i mean i think it's a good word for it yeah i think it's a good word too but perhaps we need a more specific environmental a new word for ecosystem in the environmental context and i don't think we should have to always adapt but you want people to be able to learn about environmental concepts without running into all of this. Yeah, but on the other hand, I think it intuitively, like let's say on the off chance as a kid who's 11 and they've never heard of an ecological ecosystem, but they hear about it from Apple and then they're in biology class and the term comes up, they kind of intuitively know what it means. So in a way, it's kind of helpful. Yeah, that's also, really true. with regards to using nature words for other linguistic purposes, as you said so, 
uh, articulately. Apple. It's in, true. In, in the first instance, there was that meme that was like going around in the early 2010s. It's like, I remember when Apple and Blackberry were just fruits. <laughs> this was just that. Twitter was just something that birds did. And it's like, okay, we get it. Yeah. Um, but it, it also sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole with regards to eco-linguistics, mm. the field of how we define ecological, especially ecological issues with words. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about Creek, C-R-E-E-K, which I came across in another book that I'm reading right now, which is Jules Verne's The Mysterious Island. It's very interesting, and I'm going to mention it again later. But there was, so far, um, I'm about 150 pages in, there was one footnote, and it was for the word Creek, saying, this is an American word for small body of water. And we were both surprised because we didn't realize Creek was so old a word. And then I was also thinking about probably the biggest kind of linguistic, semantic discussion with regards to the environment of the last few decades or over the last few years, global warming versus climate change. Mm. Where do you stand on that? I think climate change is better. It encompasses the actual problem, which mm. is changing climate, ocean acidification, deforestation, not just the temperature, actual temperature. All the effects of it. However, sometimes I think we can use global warming a bit more because it's perhaps the most literally felt mm. by people. Yesterday was 24 degrees, November right. 6th. It's more immediate term. <laughs> it's more dramatic. Yeah. And I was kind of reading about this, and there's a few news publications, um, including The Guardian, who've made a big deal in the last few years of saying, we're going to change our, our language with regards to um, environmental topics to more accurately reflect the alarmism that most uh, scientists are, are sounding, you know, mm -hmm. the drama of it. So they're like, climate change can often sound like quite a passive term. It's like, oh, climate change. Yeah. You know, it's got those two soft C's. It's alliterative. It's, it's kind of nice in a way. Yeah. So what about climate crisis? Like all those, all those types of things. Yeah, I see. Which I just think is really interesting. And I was kind of looking up at the, or looking up the, the, the muddled history of these two terms, which was first, which is more kind of politically motivated. And there's some different, depending on like who you want to believe, basically, there's different mm. uh, arguments for both. But it made me think just generally about our messaging when it comes to environmental issues. And I think maybe we can talk about that next week. Not exactly sure how. Perhaps is there a responsibility of the media to, you know, be in tune with scientists or should they try and be more more moderate, something like that. I'm not sure. Because often, yeah. you know, there's claims of like doom mongering or fear mongering or alarmism. Mm -hmm. And I completely get that because there have been a lot of projections, you know, scientifically that have, have gone amiss. So it's just the way we talk about these things in language. I mean, in, in print, it's just word choice, but also in something like a podcast, there's tone. Like if I was talking about a climate change, which is, I think, a lot of, uh, news outlets do or, or news mm -hmm. channels people be like that's the, that's the attitude that their audience kind of starts to um take yeah also if every single evening news features some kind of climate disaster perhaps it becomes a bit boring in the yeah. audience's head so perhaps yeah things are happening every day but choosing to report on it in a way that makes it still feel as significant as it did 10 years ago when we first started realizing how bad it was. Yeah, maybe it lessens the impact of things but everything is a disaster, even mm -hmm. if it might be a disaster, I'm not sure. Yeah. We can talk about that next week. But I was also, I was just kind of, when I read about this and the 
the kind of cynicism that people face towards it, it makes me again appreciate more or lean towards terms that are kind of superficially inarguable. Like climate change, that has, and global warming also, they have a scientific um, trust or knowledge kind of baked into them, implicit. It's like the climate's changing based on data, global warming based on data or based on uh, theories and things like this. Mm -hmm. But if you said something like habitat destruction, like that is very, that's a visual thing or um, I don't know, biodiversity loss. Like these are Honestly, just like pollution. I've always liked pollution, yeah, pollution because one. it's not... But like you don't can have to see trust it. anything. Yeah. You can just think about it from a common sense perspective. It's mm -hmm. like, well, if there's this many people and we are growing economically and we are always building houses and stuff, of course, habitats are being destroyed, you know, quicker. So, yeah, I like things when they have an intuitive, inarguable mm -hmm. kind of nature to them. Yeah. I was also thinking a bit about the climate change, like how to refer to it. I really like human induced climate change because, it, as we'll be discussing in the next question, it says you. Like every single person yeah. who's living in the West, we'll say, has a significant impact on the climate. I was listening to a podcast, as I do these days. And <laughs> that's a brag about that. Yeah. And it was saying, breaking down how each part of the world has contributed to the concentration of greenhouse gases. And it said the whole continent of Africa is 4%, and then North America, 35%, Germany. Like, it went country by country, but then it averaged it for each continent. And I just think it's important to, like, when we're talking in here, we're obviously talking about well, our experiences. Know. Yeah. Just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Also, again, with the ecosystems, it goes back a little bit to last week when I talked about, I coined the phrase, actually, holistic biomimicry. At least I think I did. I'll probably Google it and that'll be, that'll just be a <laughs> But that, that's an, it's kind of a nice illustration of what I was talking about. We should um, model our systems, our economies, our infrastructure to mimic that of nature because it is proven to work in so many different ways and for such a long time. Um, so in that sense, like, I, I like the word ecosystem. So do I. Although I wish we knew which ecosystems we were, you know, close to aside from apples or Googles. Mm, I agree. But I was thinking with the word is, yeah, finding perhaps some I like the term ecosystem and the idea, but we don't actually know, just like on average, the average person says, well, this is an ecosystem, the whole of this city, but also it's yeah. an ecosystem underneath this rock. So like, I know there's different words for it, but perhaps focusing a little bit more on those when we're teaching yeah. the idea. Just on the, on the subject of eco-linguistics, which I was kind of introduced to only this week and I found quite fascinating because it's just the type of kind of... Uh, semantics it's kind of aside from the actual meat and potatoes of the topic that i tend to fa uh, be fascinated by <laughs> um it was saying about the, the correlation between people knowing that specifically the names of things around them names of plants um or animals and not like it, it's not even just environmental knowledge although i understand that those two are correlated but like people knowing the names of the plants that they're walking by and how much they care for them it's just like significantly higher obviously so that's why i think education is also so key to nature again as we talked about last week there were some articles mentioning how many different um words various indigenous uh peoples from around the world have for all their plants and animals and how they just all know all these words and i thought it was really that's really cool because like even me i walk through a forest and i can't actually name 
almost any of the trees, and I wish I could. Yeah, I mean, having names for things are important. When you walk around your neighborhood and you know everyone's name, you have a lot more respect for them if you know their name versus if you're just walking around saying person, person, person. Yeah. That's a dog. That's true. It's a cat. It's a person. <laughs> so what about perspective also? Because it's not just names for the things, but it's names for what we are doing among these things. Mm. Like again, with that book I'm reading, The Mysterious Island, it's about a group of castaways on a mysterious island. And from the start, they're, they're very determined and they're very optimistic and they're very resourceful. And they resolve along those lines, we're not going to call ourselves castaways. We're going to call ourselves colonizers. Interesting. So I thought that could lead into the next question, which is about are humans part of nature or apart from nature? And the, like where I kind of thought about this question was that it's almost, like not fully, but it's almost kind of a, a cyclical or like unanswerable question. And mm-hmm. so I was thinking more about should we be um, part of nature or apart from nature? Or even maybe even more important, should we consider ourselves part of nature or apart from nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went back and forth on that, trying to come up with a definitive answer. And I suppose we can just run through our thought process. My very first thought was that we should see ourselves as a part of nature because I would say we are. Either we should be or we shouldn't be like we are because we are organic. We are yeah. carbon-based <laughs> beings <laughs> who live on this planet. We rely 100% on the natural world for art, food, shelter, for every single need. So therefore, we're a part of it. Everything we do, every waste, every positive action also feeds back into the nature. So it's like I say we are a part. Yeah. But I think when we consider ourselves a part of nature, it can be dangerous in saying, oh, it's just natural. Like mm-hmm. I was saying with human-induced climate change, it's like, well, climate change is just natural. It's always going to be changing. It's like True. if we're just a part of nature, then we're allowed to exploit and kill animals and we have to terraform. That's what humans do. Other animals terraform. We just do it on a bigger scale because we're bigger and more powerful. And my metaphor I came up with to drive home this first point is that, yeah, when you're playing with kids, you're like hanging out with them, you're playing games like younger people, playing a game of basketball, but you're not actually going to be like full checking the children because you know you're bigger than them and know you're powerful and you have the capacity to hold the two things in your brain at once that, yeah, we're just playing, yeah, we're just existing in nature and we're a part of it. We're part of this basketball game, but we're more powerful. So we need to moderate how we are expressing ourselves and how we are existing in this basketball yeah. game of life. Otherwise, you offend the other team by scoring too many points and you have no one else to play with. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking <laughs> Spider Man, that quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Maybe that would relate to our audience. I don't know why. I feel like the people who listen to this also really like Spider Man. Yeah. It'd be a good poll to do someday. Because <laughs> we what? both like Spider-Man. Does, do you like Spider-Man? Yeah. A scale of 1 to 10, how much do you resonate with Spider-Man? Yeah. Um. <laughs> then they have to rank the the different franchises or the different... What would you yeah, call those? Iterations. Iterations. Um, <laughs> okay, part from a part of nature. Fern Gully. Fern Gully, the last rainforest. We just mm-hmm. finished watching that yesterday. I thought, what does Ferngully say about this? Mm-hmm. What do you think? What 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 is the movie's like thesis on whether humans are part of or apart from? It's kind of interesting. Yeah. 
Well, I was thinking Ferngully and obviously Avatar is inseparable from that. Yeah, for those in who your mind. seen Ferngully, just think Avatar is the same. Or vice versa. Yeah. They're the same. But I was thinking about that, and I was like, one, the creatures in both of those aren't, like, they're anthropomorphized, but they're a different species, right? Yeah, let's just call them animals. Let's just call them nature. Okay. I think they are a great example of how we should exist in nature. We need to be empathetic, as we kept coming back to last week. Yeah. And we also need to just like sense, because I was saying it's very logical. Like if you just extract and extract, then obviously from our scientific point of view, nature can't regenerate that quickly. But it's like if we lean into the more hippie spirituality, like vibing with nature, like you can just tell from an aesthetic point of view, even if we had no science, even if we had no language to communicate with each other or yeah, communicate the ideas of the things we're finding you could still tell that nature is degrading. The trees look younger, the climate's warming, the coral reefs are dying. Like, you can just tell, but we need to be in tune with that because I think we've put up a barrier between being in tune with nature because it's so far removed from it. Mm. There's also, with regards to perspective, if we are apart from nature, then it's just a resource. Yeah. Like, it is a resource, but then it's just a resource. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. we don't really have to consider it's, breathing really yeah um, but if we are part of nature then it's like cutting off your own finger mm-hmm. and you only want to do that you know with the knowledge that it will grow back yeah also what i was thinking about from those movies is if we are a part of nature that means every human's a part of nature therefore we're all one whereas okay. if you see yourself apart from it then you also see everyone else apart from it and then you're apart from each other yeah well, and your actions are a bit less empathetic <laughs> towards your fellow human but here's, here's what i was getting at with fun going at the end of it, Zach, who's the, the human main character, well, at the start of it, he is part of a, a logging team who are clear-cutting this forest, and his kind of companions in that job form the antagonist of the film, cutting down the forest, while he learns the ways of the forest, comes to empathize with it, as you say, and realizes that this is wrong. So even though they are the ones causing all the mischief, all the destruction, and in the eyes of the forest, all the evil, basically, Zach, being also a human, is the one who stops all those things. So it's like that Spider-Man quote, and it's just the duality of man, that mm. because we have all these tools, we can do a lot of harm, more than every other species by far, um, but we can also do a lot of good in terms of mitigating those things. And it's also the fact that once he is finished, Zach leaves with the humans back out of the forest, back to the human world. And so I think Part of what muddies this question of whether we're apart from or part of nature is those people who are talking very, uh, from an abstract sense or from a spiritual sense and say, you know, everything's together. We're all carbon. Of course, we're part of nature, you know, energy and that kind of thing. But those people who just talk literally and say, well, nature's there. We're here, even in Ferngoey, which is quite an environmental piece. Um, so we are, you know, literally, practically, logistically apart from nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of the, also a spiritual argument that people make of the Genesis account of creation causing all of the environmental degradation because it says have domain over and subdue the earth. It's like God created a man then said you have to subdue nature. And based on how we know subdue to mean as non-farmers, non-in tune with nature, we think subdue and we think smush like exploit yeah we think of it in a negative term but in the way that it would have originally been interpreted 
It just means be a steward of nature. And stewardship is a very big topic. It comes up again and again in the Bible, again and again in pretty much every religion. And I think it's complex to understand because it's just like in Ferngully, it's like, yeah, you have to go into nature sometimes to help it out. There's some things that we've really worked out. We've really worked out these symbiotic relationships of like burning the fields and it actually helps the crops grow better. And we've worked out these really exploitative practices of monocrops or just things that exploit the soil and exploit every aspect of the ecosystem. Fracking. Fracking. Yeah. You know who my favorite character from Van Gogh was? Batty? No, not Batty. Hexus. Of course. He had a really good villain song. Yeah, I mean, villain songs are always the best, but I just love these embodiments of smog and pollution. (laughs) I think they're so so cool. My my walls, I want them to be full of posters of Hexus. Oh my goodness. It's true. I thought that perhaps next week, I mean, you just mentioned the Bible. That's a very rich topic of conversation. And now you have a green Bible as well. Bible. You have a green Bible. Maybe we could talk about that next week, like biblical interpretations of environmentalism or environmental interpretations of biblicism. If that's a thing. Yeah. Something like that. And also I was thinking, um, for, like from a kind of tackle this question also from an inductive thesis point of view, I, I had my points and I tried to come to a conclusion from those and, you know, these being mostly feelings and anecdotes which is what my life is you know consists of and yeah. all my all my opinions and what i've recently been thinking about is chicken stock mm-hmm. and pumpkin seeds so okay i think that says it all do you want to elucidate for the audience well we have a lot of pumpkins because yes. it's the end of pumpkin season yes and aaron roasted about five pumpkins worth of pumpkins yeah and we're also making chicken stock yeah because we have chickens and these two things, like they're still they're still quite apart from nature because obviously we're using an oven um, and those kind of modern technological conveniences, but they give me a, a sense of satisfaction with regards to respecting, in a way, the nature which died for our hunger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking using about? Using all parts of the animal, all yeah. parts of the... I mean, we're still not doing that, but I, yeah. I wish we could do that more. And I feel satisfaction really is the word for it. Like I feel more more of a correctness of a rightness than i think mm-hmm. i ever have done like throwing things away where we know random yeah so, so from that inductive point of view i was like i guess we are part of nature because this feels more right yeah rather than using it just as a resource still as a resource but recognizing that it was and is more than a resource mm-hmm. yeah i think every person obviously has a unique experience with how they consume things how they consume food but also products and it's like not like veganism wouldn't work for everyone perhaps other people it would be as you're saying using the whole but i think we can all figure out a way to do our best with what feels right for the environment and i think sometimes it's easy to think well i don't need to do anything or i if i'm not doing the most i shouldn't do anything at all but i think if we all kind of find their own niche it's useful because even if all the niches are very different, one person's a vegan, one person's zero waste, one person's vegetarian, mm-hmm. one person is chicken stock, they, they're they all contributing to the fact that we're not buying into the companies that are doing bad. Yeah. Or perhaps we literally have to shop from them. You have to shop from your local supermarket because there's no other option or you can't afford to do otherwise, but you're still sticking to the man as best you can. 
Sure. I was also thinking with this general conclusion that we are part of nature, at least from an abstract point of view or a spiritual point of view, um, we should come up with rules that will govern or guide the semester to come. Since we're pretty much right at the beginning of it, it's kind of like at the start of a, a class in elementary mm. school when you come up with class comes up with rules like no biting or no stealing and puts it yeah. on the wall, something like that. I like for, that. For next week, I mean. Cool. And also, I was kind of flipping the question saying, maybe instead of asking, um, are we part of nature? So like, are we and nature, you know, he's pushing his hands together, like cohesion. We can ask like, is nature part of us? I like that. And I think it's rather obvious, as you said, with the skin, the bones, the hunger, that we are at least quite a lot nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have like podcasts and peanut butter, though, so that's weird. Yeah, it is a bit strange. There's something extra. Yeah. There's like the secret sauce ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that next week, I guess. The we'll baking go. soda. Or maybe you're about to introduce the secret sauce. Not the secret sauce, but edible. Secret stalk. Yeah. So she has drawn a golden mushroom, kind of like the one in Mario Kart that's like a bunch of red mushrooms in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what we're looking at here. It has a white stalk. Grey dots. It's called the red-capped scaber stalk. Two eyes, wearing a hat. Well, it has these little dots on it. They're called bruises or like indents, and they can show up in different colors. I just depicted them as black because it's easiest. And it's red-capped, but all the pictures that looked very orangish-brown, so I colored it orangish-brown. I feel like this is the first time that you've ever stro- strayed from animals and plants. Perhaps. And the reason I chose this is because I was thinking about networks, interconnectedness. Oh, yeah. And specifically the mycorrhizal networks of trees, <laughs> how they talk, how they work together. And this is a common mushroom in North America and Eurasia. And... It has a symbiotic relationship with trees and has for millennia. Mm-hmm. And it's really cute, edible, as I said. It grows 15 to 25 centimeters tall. And I like it. It helps the tree's capacity for absorbing water and absorbing nutrients from the air. But in return, it receives that sweet, sweet carbohydrates from the tree's photosynthesis. Is this one of those mushrooms that's like an acre long? It yeah. It's one of those that's underground. They're all underground connected. Okay. So like there is the little what I do above ground, but they all have yeah, these little spready tentacles underground that are all connected. Hmm. Yeah, and some of them can even penetrate the cells of the tree, like the cells almost become one between the two organisms. It's just really cool. It sounds like a superhero origin. Yeah. Mushroom men. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of me. What do you think about mushrooms aesthetically in the wild? I love mushrooms. You do? Yeah, I don't like how they taste. No, of course. But I think they're just the coolest. They look so alien. Whenever you see one, you're like... You want to touch it, but also it's kind of creepy. Yeah. And then sometimes if it breaks, there's a little plume of dust that comes out of mm-hmm. it. They seem like they're all toxic. Yes. Because it's like they can be the most beautiful like red-capped mushroom. But then it's like, I feel like this is poisonous. And I know a lot of them aren't poisonous, but I would never risk it. They're a big part of the cottage core aesthetic. Yes. I think it's... It's kind of interesting, actually, because mushrooms, you know, they're all about death. Mm-hmm. I mean, not these ones you just described that have a symbiotic relation with the trees, but generally speaking, they're the detritivores, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're the recyclers of the, the ecosystem. They smell bad. Mm-hmm. They're gray, you know, consuming. and you know, They have the plumes, as you were yeah, saying. Very, very ugly parts of nature, but very, very helpful. 
but also very helpful. Yeah. No, They're the humans that, of nature. You think humans are ugly? Well. If you were tiny mm-hmm. and there was this forest magical, let's say, red mushrooms, big trees, all that kind of thing. Would you sit on a mushroom? Would you use it as a roof, like house? Or would you eat it? You I'd know? use it as a escape from the rain. Yeah, of course. I'd live in a log or a tree. <laughs> um, I'd use a leaf as an umbrella. And then this would be like those arbors. When you're walking in the rain, there's these little moments of respite. Okay. It'd be like that for me. Leaning against it? Yeah. Reading? Mm-hmm. Do you want to live that life? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I just think mushrooms, I don't know, I'm weirdly interested in them now from, from a cottagecore assessment. I'm also because curious. Because they, they are central to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are the main, like if you think of that, mushroom, that's probably number one image. Yeah. Be like mushroom, frogs. Frogs is up there, yes. Dresses. Dresses, yeah. That's like the top Maybe three. pie. Pie is a big thing. Yeah. Books? No, books might be up there. Mm. But why do you think mushrooms are genuinely? Is it just because they have, like, I think they have, they have this connotation of the red and the frogs and all that stuff, but why do they mm. have that? I don't know. It's, it's like foraging. Mm, People forage for mushrooms a lot. I'm also thinking, I wonder if mushrooms have different tastes. I mean, they must. But it's like, if you dislike one mushroom, yeah, do, do you dislike all mushrooms? Well, I think there's different tastes and there's also different textures involved, different yeah. preparations. I think that's a project for us to try and figure out a mushroom we like. Yeah, because I only know gray. Yeah, the Pale gray, gray ones. Bone-like. Yeah, don't wash them. They'll Rubbery. absorb all the water. Really? Yeah. And it's just the underside, so black. And, oh, yeah. Nope. That makes you hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Some people it does. I don't know. I know. Okay, the third question for today is to expand on the Soocene ethos. I kind of hesitate to even call it the Soocene ethos, because when I thought about it more and more, it's just my ethos and yours. It's just what we try and live We by. are Soocene. Yeah, well, it is just two people right now, but yeah. Like, yeah. But I mean, in our lives, aside from so, that's what we try to. That's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, that being beautiful, sustainable, tactile, it's not much of a, of a slogan. So I hesitate to call it that because it's just three adjectives listed. Yeah, it'd be like if you're describing a mushroom, it's like red, ugly, small. Like that's what. So this is our way of describing so scene, and we wanted to kind of elucidate on it, especially with regards to new semester nature, and it sounds. I think quite um, intuitive, which it is, rather self-explanatory. But I was also, I was actually thinking about it a few weeks ago because one of the, the common um, like oppositions I find to environmentalism or just activism is, well, the world's better than it ever was. And from a human perspective, that's almost certainly true in most, most quantifiable metrics. It's like mm-hmm. everyone's eating way more. Kids aren't dying a lot. Women have rights. There's plumbing. You know what I mean? Like from a yeah. from a all consume from a from a comprehensive standpoint like that to to romanticize the past distant past in any way is like that's just silly. That's basically just incorrect. Mm-hmm. But I think there are three major ways that the modern world is actually worse, perhaps worse than it ever was, mm-hmm. and that's. Kind of what we talk about on the solar scene because we're imagining this utopia where we have, you know, long lives and health and ovens and rights for everybody, that kind of thing. But also these three things that the modern world is missing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of my way of phrasing it. It's and really it, well put. Yeah, it wasn't, that wasn't a conscious thought when we came up with these three words, right? Right. It was just, 
that those were just the first three words that come up to describe the solar scene in our mm-hmm. minds. And I was also thinking, those are the first three words that, that come to mind when you are describing nature. Like those are the three defining adjectives in my mm-hmm. mind anyway, for nature, I guess from a human perspective, beautiful, sustainable and tactile. And so from that point of view, you can kind of say that nature is just synonymous with those three. So that's yeah. why it's like he's doing that thing with his fingers again where he meshes them. By next week, he'll learn a word for that. <laughs> um, but that's Solocene and nature. Like yeah. It's the same. It is of. the same. Solocene is just nature with humans in it. Yeah. Which was the last question is, are humans apart? It'll be putting the humans back into nature and the nature back into the humans. Ooh. Yeah, you can take, I like that. You can take the man out of the mushroom, but you can't take the mushroom out of the man. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my first when I was thinking about it I was just trying to kind of put a few more words to it mm. so with the beauty I was thinking what do I like about nature that's beautiful and obviously it's everything it's the aesthetics of course it's like a flower is just there's nothing more beautiful than a tulip like it's just perfect and whole yeah. but I also like how nature is symbiotic and how nature is circular like nothing goes to waste in nature It's not like, oh, those darn wolves pollute more than the other animals. It's (laughs) like their pollution, like their waste. It It all goes back together, yeah. And it's like there's those, when you're learning about ecosystems in school, it's like if the population gets too big, it corrects itself. Like it's just self-correcting. It's circular. It's beautiful in that way, like from a intellectual perspective yeah, yeah. by looking at the, looking at it as a, from like an engineering perspective yeah i was also trying to break down why nature is beautiful and i came up with the reason there's a there's a cohesion stylistic uniformity to it um, homogeneity almost mm. in that when you look at a desert it doesn't have random naturally that is random mm-hmm. plants from the rainforest in there or when you look at a rainforest typically there aren't like a cactus in there whereas when you look at a room everything is completely mismatching often or more importantly when you look at a city these days mm-hmm. in the modern world this is why i say like it's worse than ever before there is no like okay, cohesion sure. whatsoever it's all just cut and paste it's like an ugly collage yeah. in almost all cases the ancient cities that we walked around a little bit in europe that was really cool because everything was in largely the same style mm-hmm. and that was that was wonderful well the resources were all from one area so yeah, like yeah, the exactly. stones obviously gonna all look the same mm-hmm. and the designs, like the, mm-hmm. the architecture. Yeah. I think in the solo scene, people will look to nature for their aesthetic values. It won't be, we have to look, we don't have to look towards modern art and like urinals with flowers growing in them as a, <laughs> uh, as to feel something. We can look to nature and the, feel something. Without the urinal? Yeah, without that's, the that's urinal. That's a radical idea. <laughs> um, I would personally like my flowers with the, the urinal, but. Okay. Um, my other point on beauty was that. You kind of talked about it with everything just working and from an engineering perspective, but it's like, it's also the umbrella theory that I was espousing before. Umbrellas look cool because it means people have a purpose. Everything in nature is um, function first and then form. Like mm-hmm. flowers, there's a reason why they're colorful. Bees, there's a reason they're like that. Monarch butterflies look like this because this. And it's just like everything is just just pure. Everything's just natural, some might say. And you could say that, that yeah. That, I try and be like that when I'm like, if I'm drawing or if we say, let's decorate, then I try and think like that. Or if I'm writing, I try to cut the, it doesn't mean like an, an overt minimalism because while you have deserts, you also have rainforests where you don't know where to look. 
but it means that everything should, you know, complement each other. Complement, yeah. That's yeah, complement. which kind of leads me into the sustainable. I don't have many notes for sustainable or many thoughts because I just figured it was the most self-explanatory, like nature yeah. is sustainability. But also, one thing I wanted to note because what we're describing here is the solar scene in the ways that it is yeah. these three things. There's a social sustainability and a mental health sustainability that we are solely lacking today in the modern world. Mm-hmm. Not just obviously we're at our peak in terms of environmental destruction uh, <laughs> ever in history. Social sustainability and mental health, but I think things, the intangible things like hope, adventure, people are lacking will to live a lot. You know, we should remember these things. Yeah, I think social sustainability is a term that whenever I introduce the podcast, I say it's a social sustainability podcast because to me, that's something that is slightly missing in like the common perception of the climate crisis because to me, they're not, not just to me, to like, to the cause, social and environmental sustainability are completely the same. Like you could just say sustainability, but people very much focus on the environmental because that's perhaps how it's manifesting, how the years of isolation and the years of people having to just do the one job on the assembly line are manifesting and us not caring about the climate or caring but not knowing how to deal with it, not having the resilience and the slow living tactics and the self-regulation tactics to deal with. It's also a constructive term, which people don't tend to be that drawn towards these Mm -hmm. days. People are more interested in social unrest. Like That's the opposite of social sustainability. They're interested in the fall of a culture or the collapse of civilization you know you see all these parallels of like uh the world today or the western world today and ancient rome it's like we're collapsing just like them but it's more interesting to talk about social sustainability how to avoid those types of things Mm -hmm. you know how how can we make it so that we build a society where everyone's happy and things work for a long time Mm -hmm. that's that's social sustainability right yeah or as it said at the end of fangali remember what it said on the screen Said for our children and our children's children. I think that's really nice. Maybe that's that's really we nice. could adopt that. Yeah. As well as beautiful sustainable tactile. Mm-hmm. I like that. Tactile. Rhymes tactile. with what does it rhyme with? Uh too slow. Do you have an answer? Yeah. Nail file. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think something tile, like a scrabble. Tile. Yeah, I know. I yeah. So tactile, I think this also loops into the social sustainability in that in the soul scene, I think people will have the equipment and the capacity to truly experience nature's many layers, many dimensions. Right now, we don't have the skills. We don't have we don't have good winter clothes. Mm-hmm. We don't have ability to hop on a train to go to nature. It would have to be a two hour car ride. Yeah. And in the soul scene, we'll just be completely able to experience nature in all its glory which will contribute to positive mental health and positive social structures because it'll be easier to be inspired by those things. Whereas right now, all of our inspiration comes from 2D screens, 2D replications of nature, Animal Crossing, Cottagecore YouTube videos, Granola YouTube videos, and so on. Yeah, this is definitely the the part of the the final soul or the the (laughs) three-pronged ethos that I think is the most overlooked in that I never see anybody talking about it ever um, in school or in media. People will often talk about sustainability, you know, how that's lacking in the world today and that's a big issue. And sometimes people talk about beauty, but often I think that 
argument is um is kind of politically inclined or whatever but no one ever or very rarely ever talks about how we never touch anything today like the analog yeah the analog um the fact that if you are an ambitious young person today and you want to do well in life or even contribute um, to society as radical an idea as that may be so often you are guided into computer science mm -hmm. and what is that yeah like, no genuinely like what is what action is that? Well, I don't. I know it does things, but, yeah, but not I mean, things that I understand. What are the people doing? <laughs> they're sitting. Their hands are on a keyboard or on a screen. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are on those two things. They're in an office, and that's just what it is. Yeah. Like, those are the touch. Those are the sights. And mm -hmm. I just think it's it's beyond depressing that that's how the world is being built today. More and more, like that's where skills and ambition are, are being funneled into. That's how we view ourselves progressing in the next hundred years is like more AI or more, you know, apps. And I just think it's yeah, that's that's woeful. So in the solar scene, things will be tactile again. Mm -hmm. Maybe there will be um or of course there will still be screens and technology, the internet, computers. Those are all great advancements, but why don't we try and build it, maybe the interfaces, so that they are more human friendly. Mm -hmm. So that maybe there's something you have to like shake. Not just efficiency friendly, yeah, efficiency to long-term sustainability mm -hmm. of the person, mm -hmm. so that when we give kids a technology, which I wouldn't do today, yeah. perhaps the technology would be adapted to their development. Yeah, I'm thinking about fidget spinners. Yeah, like those are awful. Mm. I think. Um, but at least they're touching something. It comes from a place of them not touching anything. You think? I think. I mean, if kids were like, if their hobbies were playing, climbing trees, climbing trees like their hands would be foot. busy. Yeah. If in school they were actually like writing, coloring, cutting, gluing, True. baking, they'd probably be slightly less. Even with writing, you are, there's two things rather than just one. There's a pencil and a paper mm -hmm. rather than just a keyboard. And you are physically like carving little inscriptions into a piece of paper yeah. that can that can last for a long time. Or you can burn it or rip it or whatever. As yeah. with our zines. Rip them. <laughs> bop it. That'll be our like zines or yeah, like bop it. Yeah. Rip it. <laughs> I think that's Bayboy though. But it rip. Maybe we can do a collab one day. I yeah. don't know what I'm talking about. But tactile. Hopefully I mean if people are listening to this, I'm I'm sure they realize. I'm mm -hmm. sure they they know. Um well not that we like invite them on it, but they are here because they feel the same way. I think a lot of people feel the same way. But no one knows what the cause is. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people feel absolutely um, unanchored, you know, in the world because they are never touching anything, smelling anything. Another book I read recently was uh, Daphne, Daphnis and Chloe, which is an ancient Greek or Roman romance, and they introduce. It's like a it's pastoral, so they're they're two shepherds, and they have a pleasure garden, mm -hmm. which today I think would have a negative connotation, like the tone of it or the the, the name of it. But it, it just described for about two pages all the wonderful sights and smells in here, which are all just really nice naturey things. Yeah. I like that. Picking fruit off trees. Yeah. Having an herb garden eating kind of grass, like grass, eating that. Oh, yeah. Genuinely. Why not? Engage. Why not? Yeah, engage. Engage with the senses. Because it's like having when you make something, especially I mean I've been crocheting. I crochet on and off depending on the season and the vibe. But it's like coming back to it every day and it's like, wow, there's three more rows on here. 
It's like you're literally anchoring your time in an object. And it's like any hobby does that. As long as it's like marking progress, it's like baking. You're anchoring it in the number of cookies you make. Like it's just like taking time out of the abstract, taking your brain out of the abstract and like seeing it manifest in physical things is so cool. Can we give homework? Sure. The assignment that I'm going to do anyway, listeners can do if they want, touch something. Okay. Really touch it. Get in there. Yeah, I don't mean like touch it very vigorously. I mean, feel it more than you ever have. Mm. Sounds so weird, but like if you're standing around, just go on some grass, get the dogs out and, uh, and feel it. Mm. Or, you know, it's a, it's like a pencil. Feel it. Sharpen it. Oh, I love sharpening pencils. That's why I like pencils now. Mm-hmm. Moved on from mechanical pencils and even pens. Pencils. Yeah. I'll get a quill. Why not? Make some pottery. I'm really into pottery lately. Yeah. Just things like. Are, things are changing. <laughs> get your hands dirty. Get your dogs dirty. <laughs> Buy the zine. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that with the link in the description. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next week.